So that's the story of Jim Elliott and some other missionaries who over 60 years ago went to Ecuador and was going to reach people who had never been reached for Christ before. And I'm reminded, I believe it was Thomas Aquinas who said, at all times preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. What you see there with Jim Elliott is literally a life living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving his life so that he could exemplify the life of Christ for those people who had never heard the gospel before. Our pastor, that story of Jim Elliott was critical, and and God used the life of Jim Elliott to actually call him to ministry. It's an amazing story. What I want you to realize is that as so many things in our faith, it's unusual. I want to share some quotes from Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries who actually died there. These are the quotes while he was living. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. If we are the sheep of his pasture, remember that the sheep are headed to the altar. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. And that leads us right to the last beatitude. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jim Elliott actually showed us what it's like to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. For righteousness. It's paradoxical. Remember, at the time, people... Then when Jesus came back, they were looking for really a political solution. How many of you know we got an election coming? Okay? So I but you gotta understand that people were tired. They were looking for their opportunity to be in charge. And sometimes as we think about the political season, we get a little too excited with being in charge or our people who we think are the right people. To be in charge. In case you're unaware, there are followers of Jesus Christ who are registered Democrats. There are followers of Jesus Christ who are registered Republicans. There are followers of Jesus Christ who are independents, libertarians, Green Party, you name it. See, a political solution is not what Jesus came for, which is why we have the Beatitudes, it's paradoxical. It is Jesus saying, listen, what you're thinking isn't how I operate. But if you accept me, you'll be happy. You'll be blessed. You'll see the the way life was meant to be lived. And so just remember that. Ours is not a military or political Solution. It's a heart issue. 
That's why the Beatitudes are so paradoxical. So let's really start with, what's the first word? Blessed, right? What does blessed mean? For most of us, we think happy, right? Blessed is you're pretty cool, right? Things are good. You know, it really means more than that. It is really, there's a joy that comes when you're in alignment with God. When you're in a marriage and, and your spouse and you are in alignment, that anchors the relationship and gives you a joy and a peace that you really rel- seldom ever see. And this blessed is when your life is in alignment with Christ to the point that there is an inner joy and an inner peace. That is the blessing that Jesus is talking about. It's an anchoring of who you are and a joy and a peace that passes anything you have ever known before. It's not simply just being happy. Okay? That's fleeting, right? We're constantly working to be happy, okay? No, this is an anchoring of joy. So it starts with that's the perspective. We are blessed. And it says they're blessed those who are what? Persecuted. Do I have any Ravens fan? Okay, that's fine, okay? You know, it's okay. My son's a Ravens fan. Don't ask me how, okay? My work, I have to travel occasionally to Pittsburgh, okay? And I am not a Ravens fan. I have no disrespect, okay? Uh, I, they're okay to me. My son likes them, so I have a little bit. They're not my team. But when I'm in Pittsburgh and I go at least once a month, I occasionally listen to sports radio. And this just in, they don't like the Ravens much in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That, that you will listen in the call-in, they will complain about the priest because he's wearing purple vestments. I kid you not. I'm like, man, this is a little crazy. But what I'm saying is there is a literal, they, a persecution of somebody who would like the Ravens in Pittsburgh. You know, we see that in many sports fanaticism. It's a reason why fans are called fans. It's a short for fanatic, okay? There's some t- there's a persecution of those who disagree with them. Persecution means the noun says persecution is related to persecute, which comes from the Latin persecute meaning followed with Hostility. Hostility. We're not talking about just a, you know, a fleeting little thing. Persecution is tough. It's real. It means to harass or punish in a manner to design, designed to injure, grieve, afflict, specifically to cause suffer because of belief. Do you understand what persecution means? You're suffering because of your belief. And sometimes here in comfortable Bel Air, Maryland, in the United States, we don't think of persecution 
for your beliefs. Now, I'm older than a lot of you in here, and I can tell you I've seen the level of persecution of those who believe in righteousness and the cause of Christ has changed. And even in this country, it's gotten more real. There was a time when, you know, it was considered the norm to be a follower of Christ. That would not necessarily be the case today. We are standing out. Look at the ridicule of that person, the gal in Kentucky, who refused because of religious belief to, to sign off on gay marriage. Now, that was her religious belief, and she was ridiculed, attacked. There was a time that I can that would never have happened in this country. And you're called what? If you have beliefs that are held to the scripture, people say you're intolerant. They attack you because of your beliefs. And we don't realize what's going on in the world. I want to share with you what happened in 2011 to a Christian member of the cabinet in Pakistan. An unidentified gunman is Islamabad on March 2nd, 2011, shot dead the federal minister for minority affairs, Shabazz Bahati, then Pakistan's only cabinet-level Christian and an outspoken critic of the country's widely condemned blasphemy laws, suspected Islamic extremists from Pakistan's Taliban and Al-Qaeda left a letter at the scene saying those who try to change Pakistan's blasphemy laws would be killed. The murder came two months after Punjab Governor Salam Tasir was killed by his bodyguard for supporting Asia Norheen, known as Asia Bibi, the first Christian woman sentenced to death in Pakistan on blasphemy charges. So if you were speaking out against the blasphemy charges, which were with relationship to the Muslim faith, Christians who spoke out were killed. It also happened to a perfecto Padilla, 52-year-old, he was a dedicated church elder from the Sultan Kudat Philippines, was brutally murdered by two Muslims last year on September 11th at 6 p.m. local time. Perfecto was resting outside his house in a hammock when two Muslim men came by on motorbikes and fired approximately five meters away from what is believed to be a 45 caliber pistol. Witnesses said, he was struck by seven bullets. The assailants immediately fled the scene. A pastor nearby came, took him to the hospital, but he died before they could reach the hospital. An elder in a church was being killed because of his faith. He was being persecuted. 
we need to understand persecution is real. It is real. And I sometimes, you know, we hear this in our faith many times. And I'm sometimes moved to say, God, are we ready? As a church here in the comforts of what we are wrapped in our constitution of protection, are we ready if we were to face that type of persecution? That's the challenge because scripture says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why are they persecuted? For the sake of righteousness. That's what scripture says. And righteousness is following God's law, living according to the teaching of Christ. So you're blessed if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Okay? I know, uh, ever, anybody ever heard of a guy named Bill Buckner? He was a first baseman for the Boston Red Sox in 1986. At that time, it had been about 70 years since the Boston Red Sox had ever won a World Series. And they were playing in Shea Stadium in New York City. They were playing the Mets. And the game was basically won. Matter of fact, the Mets had put up on the Jumbotron, congratulations to the world champion Boston Red Sox. And then Bill Buckner let a ball go through his legs. They ended up losing that game. That was game six. And they ended up losing game seven. And so it took another almost 20 years before they actually won a World Series. Now, I've not been to Boston. I've heard stories. The people there are challenging. They did not respond well to Bill Buckner. They gave him death threats. They told him to move. They harassed his children, his family. Okay? That's being persecuted, but not because of the cause of Christ. So don't confuse when you're being persecuted because you mess up. Okay? When you're, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness. We sometimes make big mistakes. Okay? And we suffer some persecution. I've done stupid stuff. And people have a right to make fun of me for that. That's not the persecution that we're talking about. We're talking about being persecuted for righteousness sake. And for being in alignment with God, Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior. Why should we expect persecution? We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That, my friends, is what we call a declarative statement. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not a maybe. That is a declarative statement. That you will be persecuted for living 
for Christ. Some of us are wondering, when's the last time I was persecuted? That says we will be if we're living for Christ. If our life shows that we're living for the cause of righteousness, it's pretty clear the result of a spirit-led life is to face persecution. You can't read that scripture and truthfully come away with any other belief than that. So one of the things I love about Scripture is it foretells, it forewarns for us. Okay, In James it says, prepare for trials. We're going to have them. This Scripture is telling us we're going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. You know, how many of you know that if you're aware of something, it's less scary? Right? Well, what God is telling you here in his word is that be prepared. You're going to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. So that when it comes, first of all, it doesn't catch you off guard. Second of all, you don't freak out. You know, when people freak out, they tend to do stupid things. Really, that's the reality. So scripture tells us that we will. It's a declarative statement. We also see in Luke 16, 14, and 15, NIV version, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now, you listen to that, and you realize, you know what? Sometimes, even in clothed in religiosity, we get carried away on stuff that's really not of God. Okay? We sometimes cloak our political views as a spiritual view that we should dominate the political spectrum. See, in effect, that's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted to have control. Okay? We got to understand that the ways of man, God's ways are paradoxical. They're not what we naturally in the flesh think of. And what God said is those are detestable. The way you think sometimes, you know, apart from Christ, the way you think is detestable. The actions you want to take to live right are not the ways of Christ. He turned everything literally on its head. And we need to understand that it's different to be a follower of Christ. It's better, but it's different. It's different than where the flesh is wired. A righteous life is at odds with the world, even those who claim religion. Let's look at John 3, 20 to 21. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done has what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, how many of you remember your mama saying, "Don't nothing happens good after midnight or ten o'clock"? Right? It, I mean, that's just a reality. How come all the bad stuff happens at night? Because it's in darkness. Because the truth of the matter is, even most people recognize that a lot of their sinful things are wrong. And they really don't want to be exposed, okay? Most crimes are not committed in broad daylight. People like the cover of darkness. And so the natural flesh is at odds with God. We're righteous not because of who we are. We're righteous because of whose we are. Right? See, apart from Christ, even when you do good, you're doing it for selfish reasons. It's only in a transformation relationship with Christ that you can do good because of Christ. See, men, this just in. I've been married for almost 31 years. If I send my wife flowers because I goofed up, I, A, I might have to do it, but B, that has no residual value, right? <laughs> it has no value to just, you know, to, to give them flowers because you messed up. See, I'm doing something, quote, unquote, good for my own personal reason to get out of the doghouse. However, man, if you give your wife flowers for no reason, they can be a lot less expensive and you're, it's going to be a lot better off, okay? Because then it's, then it's welling up from a heart of love. And, and the reality is all transformation occurs in relationship. And so when your relationship with your spouse is such that you're thinking about them in that way and you show that, that means you've been transformed. And that's what having a relationship with Christ is, a transformation. The reason why you do good is a different reason than why you used to before Christ. Before Christ, we do everything for ourselves. We're selfish, okay? And we, by the way, even as believers, we still battle with that. When you desire to be godly in all your affairs and relationships, when you follow the righteousness of Jesus in his strengths and his glory, there are two possible responses people can have when they stay around you. So if you're going to be a follower of Christ, live that way, there ain't but two things they can do. They can come to Christ or they can persecute you. See, humans are wired to attack those that are different than them. Hey, we were talking about politics, right? Earlier, the election. What do they immediately do? They attack the other person. They persecute them. They see some, ah, you know, there may be some truth in that, but so I'm just going to attack them. I'm going to persecute them. I'm going to 
cut them off at the knees so that people forget what they're saying about me. See, what happens is when you live a righteous life, it is kind of a mirror to the person who's not living that way. And this just in, they don't like to be shown up for that. So they can either conversion, they can see Christ, move to Christ, or they can lash out and persecute. Which is why Scripture says it's blessed to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Because God understands that that's how the human condition responds to his righteousness. There's either conversion or they're compelled to go after you. Let's talk about what righteousness is. According to dictionaries, it's acting in accordance with a divine or a moral law, free from guilt or sin. With righteousness, we are free from guilt or sin. My wife has a saying that I love. It says, a secret revealed has no power. And, what, and, and, and when you hear that, you know, you know it's true. And we've seen that. And what I want you to understand, when you're forgiven and when you're in a righteous relationship, you've been made right because of the cause of Christ. You're free of guilt and sin. And that means, you know, that thing that you think, there's no way I can be forgiven for that. Or sometimes we think, well, you know what? I came to Christ, but then, man, I'm an idiot 17 years and 32 days later. And you somehow think that you're not free from guilt and sin because your conversion was so much long ago in the past. But when you think of it from Christ's perspective, the transformational act of the cross, every sin I commit, have committed, will commit, is in front of the cross. They're no different. It's only the devil that tries to twist me and think that, well, you're not really forgiven for that. Hang on to that guilt. Man, as a kid, we know sticks and stones, mate. But words... Well, now, well, you know what? The reality is that internal wiring, okay? People spend billions of dollars with uh, psychiatrists and things like that to deal with that pain. That pain of guilt is real. And the devil may not be able to stop you from your future kingdom and your glory with Christ, but he can certainly nullify you. He can get you stuck and muck and mire hung up on your guilt that you really shouldn't have. That's part of the persecution. If it gets you wired in that, you're living in persecution. It's Righteousness is also the state of moral perfection, and it's what's required 
by God to enter heaven. As we know, we can't do that. Okay? It only occurs because of God transforming you. We can't achieve it. We can receive it. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So, prior to Christ coming, the, the Israelis, the Jews, Jewish nation, thought that they could structure the rules and create a system for us to earn salvation. To live a righteous life so that we could be found acceptable in God's eyes. And what scripture says is, that's just not possible. The law's there to show us our need. It's to show us the need we have. And the need that is only made in alignment and brought into relationship through Christ. That's your need. You can't do this one on your own. People receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Christ's perfect righteousness is applied to imperfect humans. You see that? We're made right because he's right. And this whole concept of salvation through crediting of the righteousness of Christ, it's what separates our faith from every religion ever known to man that will ever be. Every other type of religion or faith is dependent upon us somehow working our salvation out. You know, and part of that is, you think about it, deep in the core of who we are as human beings, we we like to earn it. I want to do this myself. I I mean, you know, when you're dealing with your kids or your grandkids and you try to help them, what do they do sometimes? Stop. You know, I want to do this on my own. In your flesh, it's natural for you to think, I need to earn this. Because quite frankly, if I earn it, then I'm in control. And ours is the only, only faith that recognizes we're not going to get there. We can't get there. And that's why Christ died for you. He died for me. That's why. Because I couldn't get there. Neither can you. Neither can you. Neither can you. None of us. Not one. There was just one, Christ. What's the purpose? Well, the passage says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 103, 
19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. What I want you to see is the kingdom of God is promised. It's promised to the righteous. You are promised the kingdom of God for righteousness sake. Not because of you, but because of righteousness sake inside of you where you've been transformed by the work of Christ. Let's look at Luke 6.20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Again, you see the paradoxical nature of what Christ is telling us. Okay? You think about our world today, okay? How much power do poor people have? Some degree they're forgotten. We may try to provide social services and stuff and housing allowances, welfare, food allowances, all those different things. But the reality is they don't really have power. People do stuff sometimes to ease their conscience. But this is talking about the paradoxical relationship. Because remember, every other faith requires you to somehow become good. And ours is relying upon Christ. Second Thessalonians 1.5 says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Think of the peace that comes from knowing that this suffering that you're enduring is for the cause of Christ, if you're living for righteousness, that you'll be found worthy, that because of your relationship with Christ, you will enter the kingdom of God. You have relationship with God Almighty. You are living today in the kingdom relationship. You know, know, when I was younger, I used to have it kind of backwards. I used to think that what? That I got salvation, I got eternal life when? When I died. Well, that's not true. Scripture says that when you have faith, you will not die. The reality is the devil had me believing that my eternal life started at the end of my physical life. In reality, it started the day I believed. Again, the paradoxical nature of what Christ is telling us. I want to wrap it up by looking at the next two verses, Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Just kind of anchors again that eighth beatitude. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you and because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that pretty much sounds pretty similar to the rest of the Beatitudes, right? You know what the difference is? It says, blessed are you. So that's why this is just a reminder. So what happens is we went through the eight Beatitudes. Jesus is sharing those with each one of us each today and says, caps it and says, you. Just to anchor that, saying, this is blessed are the people, and you are. You. You can count yourself as a part of the people when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's a great way to anchor that. Most of us are familiar with Martin Luther King Jr. And I just want to share, we talked about her at the beginning, Jim Elliott, and how his quotes almost foretold what would happen. Well, in April 1968, Dr. King went to Memphis, Tennessee to help the sanitation workers who were on strike. And on April 3rd, Dr. King would give what ended up being his last speech. And he said that day, we've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now. Because I have been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live for a long time. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight. That we as a people. Will get to the promised land. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, leaving his motel, he was assassinated. See, when you live for Christ, you're liable to be persecuted because the scripture says you will be. And if we're not being persecuted, we might want to ask ourselves why. And what I see from these men of faith is they weren't afraid of the persecution. They almost, they knew it was coming. They were, when you immerse yourself in scripture and you understand it, you can be prepared by understanding it. Whether it was Jim Elliott or Dr. Martin Luther King, they were not afraid to die. They were not afraid to be ridiculed. They were not afraid to be attacked. Not because of them, but because of Christ. Not because they earned it, because they received it. And so the Beatitudes are paradoxical, but the Beatitudes are Christ speaking life to you. 